Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. So I think we can see and hear the narrative already being established to lay the Lakers' woes this season once again at the feet of Russell Westbrook. Patrick Beverly is running around doing Pat Bev things, hectoring the refs on behalf of teammates, making hustle plays, even making the occasional bucket. Anthony Davis looking healthy and engaged at both ends. LeBron James looks spry for someone approaching 40 in particular. Lonnie Walker looks as if he can contribute. Kendrick Nunn is on the floor. All while the attention Westbrook has been getting is for turning the ball over and steering clear of team huddles. But let's be real here on OTB, if nowhere else. This team is a collection of misfitting parts and talent, and Westbrook is only one of them. This isn't about Anthony Davis staying healthy or Westbrook not turning over the ball or even Darvin Ham's rotations. It comes down to a very simple issue that they're not equipped to solve. Shooting and defending the three. They're not good at either one. LeBron James appears to be their best three-point shooter. Now that should make any Lakers fan nervous. Not just because he's still a bit of a streaky three-point shooter, but because ideally you'd want good three-point shooters around him so that he can be a playmaker. Standing outside the arc, throwing flat-footed no-look passes into the interior, look, those aren't bad on occasion, but a steady diet is likely to produce more turnovers than buckets. It's pretty simple math. Answering threes with twos requires a tremendously high shooting percentage inside the arc. 
against the Timberwolves in their second to last preseason game, AD and LeBron overall shot and rebounded extremely well. A combined 16 for 23 from the floor and 24 rebounds. That's impressive work for roughly 25 minutes on the floor. The prevailing notion in Lakerland is that if AD and LeBron are on the floor and at their best and shooting 16 for 23 and grabbing 24 rebounds, the Lakers are going to be a force to be reckoned with. But where's the evidence for that? Unless we're going back three years. They were a 500 team when both were available last year. Together, they shot damn near 70% against the Timberwolves, and yet, after jumping out to a 7-0 lead, they were in a back-and-forth game until midway through the second quarter when they fell behind and never led again. And all this was with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns sitting on the bench in street clothes. The Timberwolves just kind of messed around and wound up winning. The heart of the problem, from an individual standpoint, as I see it, is not Russell Westbrook. It's Anthony Davis. There's no thought that Westbrook, playing at his best, is going to make this team a contender. you got to pick a lane. You either believe Westbrook is all that, or you're thinking he's ill-fit to be a complimentary player. It's one or the other. You put the ball in his hands and let him play and be Westbrook, or you take whatever you can get. In any case, the feeling is that he's just supposed to be a complimentary player for the Lakers. So don't put whether they win or lose on him. Now, there is that belief with AD that he can be the difference maker, that you should put the ball in his hands. LeBron has even suggested that. And because of his natural size, athleticism, and talent, he's going to produce numbers when he's on the floor. But they need him to be so much more than that with this team. And the effort and energy that that requires simply isn't there. We certainly haven't seen it in the preseason. He's taking every other game off. He plays in spurts that certainly those flashes... I understand the attraction. He makes plays that a select few players in the entire league are capable of making. His shooting stroke, for a big man in particular, is silky smooth. The mid-range jumper, a thing of beauty. Then you got that, that whole unibrow and natural fierce expression, which makes it easy to perceive him as an intimidating force. But he doesn't consistently play that way. He's simply not. When the Timberwolves made their push in the second quarter, it was behind Nas Reed, scoring 12 points on 5 of 8 shooting, including a pair of threes. That was AD's man, which is why he finished the quarter with a plus-minus of minus 7. Reed beat him down the floor in transition, and his threes were uncontested. Now, I'm fully aware this is preseason and that AD may not have been going all out. That's fine. Just don't take his numbers or his shooting in the preseason or his occasional weak side help monster swat or attacking the offensive glass and 
getting a put-back dunk as proof that AD is going to be a monster this season. The want-to is the question we've always had with him. And there's no evidence his want-to tank is any more full than it was the last two seasons. Winning a championship in the bubble might just been the worst thing that could happen. Because AD's got his ring. What does he need multiple rings for? He's never been built that way. That does not appear to be his mindset. It's not that he doesn't show flashes of what he's capable of. It's that he doesn't sustain it. Or maybe he can't. There's also a more fundamental issue. Even at his best, he doesn't give them what they truly need, which is someone who draws double teams and creates baskets for everybody else with the attention he gets. LeBron James still remains the Lakers' best player at doing that, and you can miss me with all the talk about him playing off the ball. His usage rate against the Timberwolves was still far and away the highest on the team. I don't expect that to change. It's what drives me crazy listening to the national broadcast and the broadcasters. And I know this having been a part of those broadcast teams for a good chunk of my career at both ESPN and TNT. The broadcasters are given notes and talking points going into the game, either from the research staff or through the exclusive conversations with coaches and players, day before or day of the game. The problem is when they focus on moments that validate or fit with those preordained talking points and don't take into account the evidence that runs counter to those talking points in the game. We all need a game plan going in. That's only smart TV, smart anything. But we also have to be ready and willing when we're doing something that's live to change up and read the situation and change our game plan accordingly. A big deal, for example, was made of Darvin Ham wanting AD to shoot more threes this season and AD only taking two against the Timberwolves, missing both of them. Now, is it too much to ask to dig a little deeper into that subject? For instance, AD taking a lot of threes doesn't make sense if he isn't making them. No more sense than having Giannis take a lot of threes. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. AD's not stretching the floor and creating space for others simply by standing out by the three-point line. Not with his track record. And the Lakers don't have such a great margin of error that they can afford a half dozen empty uh, offensive possessions thanks to AD hoisting threes. And if he's taking open threes, especially early in the clock, which were the type that he was criticized for not taking in the Timberwolves game, 
If he's taking those instead and missing them, that's an empty possession. The defense hasn't been worn down defending. A precedent hasn't been established that they have to get out and challenge AD's shot. And no one on the Lakers is inspired to play defense because they just had the pleasure of touching the ball or trying to make a play on offense. They're going to play defense unless you have that pleasure, more often than not. The other problem with AD taking a healthy number of threes is that it eliminates him from hitting the offensive glass. I mean, it sounds good. Let's have AD play stretch four, stretch five. Again, the way this team is built, that's not necessarily a smart tactic. It's a problem because he's far and away their best offensive rebounder. Against the Timberwolves, he had seven second chance points, the most by any player in the game and more than the rest of the Lakers combined. For me, what was most fascinating about that Timberwolves-Lakers game is that AD and LeBron played as well as they did. Lonnie Walker made some really nice plays. Westbrook looked to fit in as well as he could, taking only three shots the entire game and having more assists, three than turnovers, two. And none of it mattered as far as winning the game. It felt as if the Timberwolves were just coasting along, knowing that eventually they would pull away. And again, without two of their best players, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, even involved. And for clarity's sake, the Lakers didn't rest anybody of significance in that game. AD played 27 minutes. LeBron played nearly 25. Russell Westbrook played 25. Pat Bev played 26 and a half. All that aside, if the blame for the Lakers not being able to compete with the best teams in the league is going to be placed anywhere, it has to be at the three-point line. That's where they are at a massive disadvantage, and I just don't see any way for them to overcome it no matter how well they play in every other facet of the game. They simply don't shoot well from distance, and they don't defend it particularly well. And there's no bigger part of the NBA game right now than the three ball. The Timberwolves were mediocre on both ends of the floor last year at the three-point arc, both defending it and shooting from it. But they looked like a vintage version of the Golden State Warriors against the Lakers, shooting a crisp 36%, making 14 of 39, while the Lakers shot 25%, 10 of 39. And it was actually a little worse than that. Take away the fourth quarter, which was a battle of the far end of the benches, and the disparity was even greater. The Lakers players who won't be playing when it counts went 6 for 14 against the Timberwolves players who won't be playing when it counts, and they went 3 for 10. The Timberwolves starters were 9 for 21. The Lakers starters... 5 for 16. At one point, the Lakers missed 13 threes in a row. The other dirty little secret about these Lakers is that they're not very athletic. Not compared again to the better teams in the league. LeBron is still athletic for someone about to turn 38. AD is athletic for a big man when healthy. Patrick Beverly, not athletic. Austin Reeves, teams hunt Austin Reeves on defense. Lonnie Walker, decent athleticism, but not anything special. Kendrick Nunn, 
He was minus 19 in 19 minutes of action against the T-Wolves. That is hard to do. Russell Westbrook? That used to be his trump card. And he's still pound for pound as strong as anybody in the league and straight line fast. But his knee issues have severely cut down his lateral mobility. One scout suggested to me, and hold on, but just stay with me, suggested that the Lakers play him at four if they want to create an advantage. That's right away. I said power forward. Four. He's strong enough and tough enough to defend bigger players on the block. He's already one of the best rebounding guards in the entire league. And he'd create problems in transition, and it'd be hard for any big to stay in front of him off the bounce, even with his limited agility laterally. And if that sounds crazy, keep in mind, the Brooklyn Nets did a lot of that with James Harden, having him use his size and strength to defend in the post. And it was surprisingly effective. Again, that's a rather extreme measure when we're talking about the Lakers. But considering what Darvin Ham is working with, unorthodox measures might be the only chance they have. The strengths that the Lakers have are most valuable in close games and in the postseason when the pace slows down. When they were a force three years ago, it was a different team. They could play slow or fast with LeBron, AD, Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Kyle Kuzma. They could get out and run. They made teams, for the most part, play faster than they wanted to. Now, the tables have turned. The young up-and-coming teams turn it up a notch, and the Lakers have no answer. They also, with that bubble team, they could play big. Dwight Howard was still a force. And obviously they had Anthony Davis and LeBron James. That's a big front line. They don't have that now. They don't have, they're not, they're not particularly good playing slow and big. And they're not athletic enough or good enough shooting in transition from the three-point arc to beat you that year. Uh, that way, excuse me. Two years ago, when they made it into the playoffs, they at least lived off a staunch defense. They had that. And that's not there either. Their biggest strength, if I'm looking across the board, are the mid-range games of LeBron and AD. But they don't get into those shots quickly. They catch the ball in the post. It's not like they're working off the ball and the ball swung to them for those shots. They catch the ball in the mid-post and work their way into a shot. And teams are pretty happy not doubling them and saying, we'll live with them playing at that pace and them taking those shots. Now, operating that way without drawing a double team, which teams are not sending, means there aren't going to be shots for anybody else. None created. Lakers also have ample playoff experience, as does Darvin Ham, having been part of a championship team as a player in Detroit and again as an assistant coach in Milwaukee. The challenge is going to be getting there. Of the 10 teams that had better records than the Lakers last season, only two of them are certifiably worse than they were a year ago. The Jazz and the Spurs. But there's a team that finished behind them that looks very promising. I'm not going to go so far as to say they're a playoff team, but the Sacramento Kings 
look like they've started to put something together. And they absolutely humiliated the Lakers in the final preseason game for both teams. Now, I know, AD didn't play, Walker didn't play, Westbrook left early with a pulled hamstring, Dennis Schroeder didn't play because of a finger injury, but none of them are fixing the issues that caused the blowout win. There was another lopsided advantage for the Kings in three-point shooting. Sacramento shot nearly 50% on threes, making 20 of 41. And they were not the contested, difficult-to-make variety. De'Aaron Fox did as much damage pulling up for 10-footers as he did getting to the rim, and AD's presence isn't going to do a thing about that mid-range threat. The Lakers, meanwhile, were 8 for 33 on threes. That's 24% for those of you who don't want to do the math. This against a team that was the worst in the league last year defending the three. Now, they look significantly improved in that department, the Kings do. And it's about what you would expect with Mike Brown as their new head coach. But creating open looks on the perimeter requires dribble penetration. And where are the Lakers going to get that from? Russ Westbrook, your favorite scapegoat, came off the bench for the first time in 10 years and actually looked, he may have been the most encouraging sign in that game for the Lakers before he pulled his hamstring or injured it. Playing pick and roll with the Lakers bigs, he was slipping or lobbing passes to them for finishes. Now, that's him at his best. As one GM put it to me, Russ is really good with A to B decisions. It's when you make the decisions more complex, when you ask, ask him to factor in option C and D. Option A is he's looking to score. Option B is help comes over, he hits the man left. That's why the pick and roll with the bigs worked, worked so, so well, and I'm not all that surprised that it did. But asking him to factor in options C and D, guys available on the perimeter, or somebody else cutting off the ball, that's where his game breaks down. And that's what results in turnovers for fast breaks the other way. AD sitting out the game against the Kings as a precautionary measure, only a precautionary measure, that's what we keep hearing, is another red flag. If you told me he was going to play 70 to 75 games and 35 minutes a night, and I could count on that, for all the weaknesses the Lakers have, and as much as I don't think he can erase the most glaring of them, I'd at least give them a fighting chance. Have to do that. With LeBron, AD, you have to. But the idea of AD playing 70 to 75 games and 35 minutes a night at the level necessary to do all the things that the Lakers need him to do, that just doesn't seem like a realistic expectation. If you play him steady minutes and he plays them as hard as he'd need to play them to cover the Lakers' flaws, the shaky perimeter defense and the general lack of athleticism, you run the risk of him breaking down and missing significant time. If you don't play him those kind of minutes then who is creating the mismatch? 
Who's serving as the backstop on defense? AD beating the other big down the floor is one of their aces in the hole. Might be one of the most effective plays that he and LeBron have had. Made basket or not, AD takes off or is down there after a free throw and LeBron just throws it ahead to him. And with his length and athleticism, very few guys back who are going to be able to defend that. But can he hold up playing it as often as the Lakers need? Maybe the most troubling element that I witnessed was the lack of concern for what damage LeBron might do. It used to be that the threat of LeBron getting going and then getting everybody else going made teams wary. He could kind of set a team on fire. But the Kings were content to have Harrison Barnes guard him one-on-one. And while LeBron's turnaround, Jay, looked unstoppable, Sacramento was content to live with it. For good reason. Trading LeBron's twos for threes, that's a winning formula. And look at it this way. LeBron averaged 30 points a game last year, and it didn't matter. They still finished 11th. He nearly finished with a scoring title, and the Lakers finished 11th. Rest assured, the entire league has taken note of that fact. And I take no pleasure out of pointing all this out. As I've said before, the league is far more interesting when both Lakers, the Lakers and LeBron, are forces to contend with. Whether you like them or you don't, and I don't have an emotional attachment either way, it's more interesting when they matter. But based on everything I've seen so far, it's just hard to envision them being any more in the mix than they were last year. And I don't see any solutions to be discovered based on what Darvin Ham is working with. Please, let's not go to the Darvin Ham doesn't know what he's doing. Darvin Ham has a bad hand. He's going to try to play it the best he can. I'm not saying that he's a great coach. I don't know if he's going to be a great head coach. I think he's a very good coach, and I think he has a chance to be a great head coach. But certainly what happens with the Lakers this year can't be a referendum on whether he knows what he's doing or not. I don't know too many coaches. I don't know any coaches, to be honest with you, that could make lemonade out of what the Lakers have. Now, I conducted a survey of NBA GMs, coaches, and scouts that you can find on foxsports.com. And one of the 10 questions was which team would make the biggest leap this year. The Lakers, again, as I mentioned, finished 11th last year. They were not mentioned once by anybody, not even as a second or third choice, you know, where they go, oh, well, wait a minute, there could be this or that. Like, that happens in the conversation or happened in the conversations that I had. And another question asked, which teams had the most boom or bust potential? The Nets were first and the Lakers second. And I suspect that's because the five participants who named the Lakers as the biggest boom or bust, having the bigger biggest boom or bust potential, see what I see, which is a team that if it were to make the postseason, 
has some elements that could make it a tough out. The conundrum, one of the many facing the Lakers, is how they're going to get there. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm headed to the Lakers-Warriors season opener, and I will be watching the exchange, the body language, the interaction between one Draymond Green and one Jordan Poole. I found Jordan's comments the other day about how he and Draymond have resolved their issues after the infamous punch in practice, and it bears watching. There may be something that comes up watching the Lakers as well, but I would imagine that the next podcast is going to focus on what I learn about the Warriors and their chemistry coming out of the incident in the preseason. All that in the next podcast. But in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.